You're listening to our weekly podcast, Getting in the Word with Stuart Guthrie. Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship of Ridgeville in Early Branch, South Carolina. We hope to grow together with you, seeking real knowledge from the truth, the Word of God. Here's Stuart. Well, good day, everyone. Hope you're doing well. Welcome to Getting in the Word. It's always a, a great delight to be together on Thursday here at 3 o'clock, and uh, so I'm excited as we as we prepare to jump into God's Word this morning. We've been continuing our study on the attributes of God. What you think about God matters. We've talked about the importance of understanding who God is, the benefits of understanding God, the blessings of understanding who God is, and also the negative aspects of not understanding who God is and the, and the negative effects that come with that. And so as we work through this, I pray you'll be encouraged and strengthened uh, through God's Word as we continue to work through that together. And so let me pray and we'll jump right in uh, to our lesson today. Lesson number five, God is Spirit. Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have to gather to today here uh, online on this platform. I pray that if, uh, Lord, those who are listening have never uh, bowed the knee to Christ, that today they would place their faith in Jesus. And Lord, thank you uh, that you have made yourself known and that you have revealed yourself to us in your living and active word. Help us to be faithful in studying who you are and not only uh, learning the word and being under the word, but allowing the word to be in us and work through us for your glory. So God, as we continue to dive into your word, help us to be faithful in being obedient to the call of God on our lives for your glory. And we ask these things in Christ's holy name. Amen. So I pray that you've had the privilege to print out the PDF file that has been put up for you guys. If you haven't, look at the link, click on it, go to his website, Paul Washer, and you can download a PDF that is free. You can order the workbook and work through it at your own pace. We are working through one chapter a week rather than a chapter a day. Uh, these lessons, typically, if you read through them, look up the scriptures, can take anywhere from 15 to 45 minutes. And so it's not astronomical amounts of time that it takes to do these. And yet we slow down and we want to go through one a week. And so as we begin to study knowing the living God in chapter 5 as God is spirit, I pray that you'll be encouraged by this message because it is certainly one that will you will find a great blessing and a great benefit um, for the Christian faith. It is certainly one that I believe is is an amazing study as we learn that that God is spirit. And so I, I trust that as you um, as you listen and as you learn and as you've studied through that you've been encouraged. Um, that that God uh, will encourage you in the fact that He is um, the spirituality of God, so to speak. So, um, let me begin by uh, starting off with what He uh, clarifies here in the first section: that God is not material, meaning He does not possess a physical body. Now, you may find that problematic; you may not. But here's the Two, impl- two greatest implications um, that, that come or we can derive from that. And number one is that God is not confined 
to any physical restraints so common to humanity. That's a blessing to you and to me as believers, as Christians, that, that God is not bound by the body. You and I are bound by the body. There are limitations because we are in the flesh. God is spirit. He is a spirit being. He, he, he does not have a material body. We learn that in John 4, 24. Um, the second implication that we see that God is not visible and therefore, right, never should be degraded with images made by men. So we have to be very careful not to make graving images of who God is. Um, we, we see some idol worship in the Old Testament, which uh, the men and the women formed in uh, the Mount Sinai there, the golden calf as an image of God to worship. So we have to be very careful and understand that God is a spirit being. He is not visible, and thus we have to be careful that, that we don't make him into like us, like men-made images. So at times, Scripture, though, uh, we can all agree, speaks of God as if he has a, possessed a physical body. There are references to what? The, the hand of God, the, the mighty right hand of God, his back, his breath, his ears, his eyes, his face, his feet, fingers, all of the attributes of a human body. So how do we explain these references, right, like of the human aspect of God in relation to the truth that God is spirit, that he does not obtain a physical body? Well, in theology, these references are considered uh, an anthropomorphic aspect of God. It, it's an expression. Um, in other words, God simply makes it so that you and I can understand better who he is. God is simply attributing to himself human characteristics in order to communicate, ultimately, uh, a truth about himself in a way that you and I, as human, who have hands and feet and, and eyes and, and ears and, and, and fingers and all of the other aspects of your human flesh, so that he can communicate a truth about himself in a way that you and I can understand. So, for example... Paul uses here, the Bible speaks of God's wings and, and of people hiding under the shadow of his wing, right? But it would certainly be absurd or it would be inappropriate to interpret such statements as literal. These are uh, figures of speech in which we know that God uses them so that we can better understand so, uh, number one, how does Scripture describe God in John 4? Well, John 4, 24, God is what? He is spirit. He is spirit. God is spirit, it says, and does not obtain a physical body, and thus is not limited to or confined to the limitations of the flesh. You want to talk about why God is spirit? Well, God is spirit because he's omnipresent. We'll learn about those omnis later in our study. Omni um, 
presence means he's he's everywhere all at once. He's all. The, the, the Latin word omni refers to the, the word all in English, and so all present, all powerful, all knowing, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent. Those are aspects of God that he could never obtain if he was in flesh, but he's spirit being, and thus we benefit because of his spirit being. So secondly, how should we live in light of the truth that God is spirit? He calls us to write our thoughts about this. This is why it's important to print out the PDF so that you can work through it. Well, we must worship God sincerely. John 4, 24 says it this way, God is spirit, and those who worship him must Worship him in spirit and truth. We don't just get to worship any way we want to worship. No, we are to worship in spirit and in truth. Now, there are a couple of different ways to interpret what it means here. The reference to worshiping God when he says in spirit and in truth. And there are two possible meanings for both of those. Well, the first one is that we must worship God in spirit. What does that mean? Well, it could mean that we worship God with all of our being sincerely and profoundly. How many times do we go to church and we sing praises to God and we just we just kind of go through the motions, we show up to church late, we, we, we don't prioritize our evenings and so we're half asleep on Sunday morning when the pastor has poured into the Word of God all week and, and we can barely keep our eyes open because we haven't prepared well. And so I think it's important for us to understand that, that, that we are to worship God Sincerely, he, he is to be worshipped in a way that is honoring to him. And, and I would suggest, secondly, that we must worship God in the power and under the direction of the Holy Spirit. We must worship him in spirit. When you become a believer, when you put your faith in Christ, the Bible teaches that you are indwelt with the Spirit of God, that God, the Holy Spirit, comes to take up residence in you, and therefore when you worship God, you must worship God in the Spirit, right? In line with His Word. We don't just get to, to sing boys to men for Sunday morning worship like some churches are doing these days. We don't get to just have a dance-off for church worship. We don't get to have some just some rapper just rapping. No, no, we need to worship God and honor God in a way that is in spirit and in truth, in line with the truth of God's Word and in line by the Spirit of God who indwells us. The reference to worshiping God in truth has as well two possible meanings. Well, we must worship God truthfully and sincerely with integrity. We need to come to God in truthfulness, like repentance. We must worship God according to the truth, according to the word of God that has been revealed to us. So, God is spirit, and thus we need to honor him and accept that. He is living within us. He is ever-present. He does not contain a physical body. So we must avoid associating God with religious buildings or ascribing to God any human limitation or need. 
we live in a day when people want to idolize things, right? They, they, they say, uh, you know, come to the church. The church is not the building. The church is the people. Yes, there is the local church. Yes, there is structure and organization by which we know the pastoral epistles teach us there ought to be elders and deacons and leaders and servants and, and all of those areas within church leadership. God has structure for the local church, but never negate that the, that the church is the building. No, you can you can have church in the park, but you can't you can't have church apart from the structure by which God has defined it. I mean, we've all heard the excuse of oh, I don't go to church. I have I worship Jesus in the mountains. Well, listen, again, you must worship him in spirit and in truth, based on the truth of his word. He has a standard of worship. We just don't get to create some fabricated man created worship. No, God wants us to worship based on the truth of his word. But we are never to, uh, you know, associate a religious building with true worship. Meaning, you have to go to this building in order to have true worship. That's not what we ever say, because that's not true. God resides in each one of us as believers. He He is not a God who dwells in in temples made by men anymore. In the Old Testament, he would tabernacle among the the tabernacle, and he would be within the holies of holies, and we would see his cloud of uh, surround the tabernacle. But now, in these last days, he has spoken to us through his word, and he indwells us as believers, and he lives, he resides, he tabernacles within us. The God, verse 24 and 25 of Acts 17, the God who made the world and all things in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he need anything, right? Since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. We have to have a correct understanding of who God is because it affects the way we worship. It affects the way we view people. It affects the way we view and, and, and view the building. You know, people, I, I, I had this conversation with a pastor, and we have so many people. Do your, do your pastor a favor, okay? I don't know who your pastor is, and when I say pastor, I mean who is the person that you sit under faithfully, Every week, week after week, who, do, who is it that you support financially as a church of your tithes and your offerings? Here, here's the deal. Don't just up and leave that church. Don't, don't send your pastor an email and, and say, hey, I, you know, I'm leaving the church. I'm going back to my old church. Like, sit down with him. You, you are brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ. And you have agreed to come under the authority of that leadership in the church, or you should have been. God thinks highly of the church, the body of Christ. And so we have to honor the Lord in that. And how we leave a church matters. How we worship God matters. How we live our lives as Christians matters. So, but we need to not express or, uh, you know, uh, we don't need to associate God with specific religious buildings. Ascribing God to any human limitation. No, God is not limited to a building. He is not a God who dwells in temples made by men. He is a God who indwells his children. 
And my friend, that's, that's encouraging to me to know that he'll never leave me nor forsake me, no matter if I'm in the valley or on the hilltop. He's there with me. He's there when things get hard. He's, things, he's there when things get good. He's there when you receive the bad news of health issues. He's there when, when, when the food supplies run out, ask Elijah. He's there when your child dies, ask the widowed woman. Listen, God is ever-present because he's spiritual. He is a spiritual person. So the fact that God has no need, right, demonstrates this in Psalm 50, 10 to 12, when it says, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird on the mountain, of the mountain, and everything that moves in the field is mine. If, if I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and all it contains. God needs nothing. He is everywhere. He is spiritual, and he expects a high level of worship for his creation. Listen, since he has no body, my friends, he has no need. And since he has no body, God is not subject to spatial constraints. God can be present in all places and all times. It's precisely because God does not have a physical body, listen, that he is able to keep his promise to be with his people, to be with you and to be with me in those moments of need. And because he is spirit, we can be certain, we can be assured that whatever happens, no matter how alone we feel, God is with us. So we, we need God to be a spiritual being. So that when we worship, we worship him in spirit and in truth. So how do the scriptures describe God in Hebrew eleven twenty seven? Well, it describes him as the God who is unseen. Listen, if God is visible, then how do we explain these passages of scripture where he again reveals himself in visible form? So we must understand the principles of biblical interpretation if we're going to truly grasp what is meant here. First, the Bible never what? Contradicts itself. The scripture, the best interpreter of scripture is scripture. Secondly, the passage of scriptures that are difficult for you and I to interpret with certainty shouldn't be interpreted in light of those other passages whose interpretation is unmistakable. Meaning you don't take the hard things that are, that, are, that are cloudy to us and use those to interpret the rest. No, you take that which is clear and simple and you use that to interpret that which is unclear in many ways. So the, the scriptures clearly state that God is invisible. Therefore, the visible appearances of God in the scriptures, we, we must we must interpret those as those visions as symbolic representations of spiritual realities like in Ezekiel it tells us in chapter 1 verse 1 that the heavens were opened and he saw what visions of god in verse 28 the the the, the prophet summarizes these visions as, as the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the lord and in Daniel 7, 9 to 15, Daniel sees a symbolic vision of God and the Father, or God the Father, as, as the ancient of days. 
And in Luke 3, 22, John the Baptist sees visions of heaven opening and the Holy Spirit descending in the appearance of a dove. This is obviously symbolic. But we see the picture of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit all present. So what do the following scriptures affirm about God, especially about his invisibility? Well, let's look at 1 Timothy 1.17. says, Now to the eternal, the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He is eternal. That means he is beginning his end. He, he has no beginning. He has no end. He's eternal. But not only is he eternal, he's immortal. He don't die. So when we come to Revelation chapter 1, we have to understand what he's saying there is this is Christ. But yet he is also, we need to understand, invisible. He is invisible. Because God does not have material body, he cannot be seen by human eyes. Though some people, again, in Scripture have claimed to have seen God, the reality is, the truth is, is that he's invisible. We see that right here, 1 Timothy 1.17. So only physical manifestations of God in human flesh is Jesus, is Christ. 1 Timothy 6.15 says, Which will he bring about at the proper time? He who is the, is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, Lord of lords, who alone possesses immorality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom what? No man has seen or can see. To him be the glory and eternal dominion. Amen. God's invisibility is mentioned as one of the attributes that distinguishes him from his creation. God's person and existence is unfathomable. He can only be known to the degree that he chooses, that God in his own sovereign will chooses to reveal himself. So, so how should we live in light of God's invisibility? Well, in Deuteronomy 4, 11 to 12, it says this, You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire to the very heart of the heavens, darkness, clouds, and thick gloom. Then the Lord God spoke to you from the midst of the fire, and you heard the sound of words, but you saw no form, only a voice. In verse 15, so watch yourselves carefully, since you did not see any form on the day the Lord spoke to you at Hebron from the midst of the fire, so that you do not act corruptly and make graving images for yourself in the form, any figure, the likeness of male or female. We have to be careful that we not make for ourselves graving images in replace of God. We don't need to make God like us. That never ended well in the Old Testament. Any attempt to make a figure or drawing of the living God will lead to a distortion of his image and, and a, and a, and a dim, diminishing of his glory. So in my publishing of my new book, A Journey Through John, um, I put together some book covers that I designed, and then I shipped them off to my graphic designer and 
And uh, I sent the book out to a few of my dear friends and said, what do you think? And the very first response is, I don't like the picture of Jesus on the cover. Okay, explain. Well, he says, well, I'm just not comfortable with an image of Christ because we don't know what Christ looked like. And I said, well, Christ is human. He had flesh, God in flesh. This was Jesus, whom we have as a representation of God. But I, but I really appreciated his input, and I wanted no miscommunication uh, in the cover, so I changed the cover. So, But I wanted to make sure that I wasn't, even in something that I'm trying to do as a blessing and a benefit and, and, and honoring to the Lord, I wanted to make sure that I was not in the process of distorting his image or diminishing the glory of Christ. And so, therefore, all forms of idolatry must be avoided, <laughs> like, like a plague. And so we must seek those things, th those thoughts about God that are firmly grounded and supported in the Word of God. 1 Timothy 17, Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, in glory forever and ever. Amen. Chapter 6, 15 to 16, which he will bring about at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immorality and dwells in unapproachable light, which no one has seen or honored him, right? So, so God is immaterial and invisible. How then can we know such a God? Well, according to Scripture, God has revealed himself. So how has he revealed himself? I've given you hints to that. It's through his son, Jesus Christ. And when we come to John chapter 6, verse 46, has any man seen the Father? Who has seen the Father? Well, verse 46, not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Christ is the only one. Why? Because, well, in John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If no one has seen God except the Son, how has the Father made himself known? How can we understand who God is? Well, John 1, 18 reminds us that it is only God that has seen the Son is the only one who's seen, the only begotten of God who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained him. It's, it's, it's like in John chapter 14 when Philip says, so is the Father and it is enough. And Jesus says, Philip, have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me? Do you not know that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? If you've seen me, what? You've seen the Father. The revelation by which God has revealed himself is through his Son. The word here explained, he has explained him, comes from the Greek word exgenomai, which means to interpret or explain, exposit or expound. The Son explains God to us. If you want to know God, know the Son. If you want to know what he looks like, look to the Son. He explains God through his life and through his teaching. The Net Bible provides us a very useful translation when it says no one has ever seen God. The only 
the, the only one himself, God, who is in closest fellowship with the Father, has made God known. So if you know who Christ is, you know who God is. According to the following scriptures, why it asks the question, is Jesus uniquely qualified to show us the Father? Well, when we come to Colossians 1.15, listen to what it says. He is, the invis- he is the image of the invisible God, firstborn of all creation. He is the image of the invisible God. And in Hebrews 1.3, and he is the radiance of his glory, the exact what? Representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, this Greek word image, we translate into English, image. It uh, could be considered likeness. Um, who but God can be the exact image of God? We talked about the divine nature of God and that the divine nature is shared between the triune gods. So understanding who God is is understanding that God shares the divine nature with God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And so if anyone is going to define God, it would be God the Holy Spirit or God the Son. And here we know that Scripture is very clear that the Son is the exact representation of the Father. The Son can be the image of God only because He is what? He is the radiance of His glory, the exact representation. There is no deviation. If you've seen Christ, you've seen the Father. And if you've seen the Father, you've seen Christ. His exact representation of his nature, Hebrews 1.3 says. So when we come to John 14, the upper room discourse, Jesus is preparing for his departure. And old Philip, again, I, I quoted it, he's doubting. How long have I been with you, and yet you have not come to know me? Verse 9. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? We are alike. So it's important to recognize that Jesus' words would be blasphemy if he were not God in the fullest. That's why they tried to stone him. You know, at one point in Jesus' ministry, they say, we, don't, we stone you because you make yourself out to be God. He, he is the exact representation of the Father. And because God is invisible, Christians must live by faith. Hoping, right, ultimately for the day when we will be in his physical presence and you and I will see him face to face. So yet he is is immaterial, he he is invisible, and because of those, he's infinite. He, He is not, there is no ontological boundaries, you could say, or limits. The fullness of his being preeminates every part of time and space. And so God's greatness surpasses our ability to understand, and and the mystery of God um, ought to heighten our senses of worship. Because he is spirit, because he is not limited, because he has promised to be with us wherever we are, we 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 can worship him. If it were possible for us to figure out God, I mean, would we be drawn to to genuinely praise his name, to worship him? 
No, because he is beyond our ability to fully grasp and understand, he brings us to a place in which we submit totally to him and, and we are amazed at his sovereign ability and his, his limitless abilities. There's always room for us to grow. There's always space for us to deepen our understanding, our knowledge, and our relationship with God. It was Charles Hodges that said this in a quote, Everywhere in the Old and in the New Testament, God is represented as a spiritual being without form, invisible, whom no man hath seen or can see, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, and full of glory, as not only the Creator, the Preserver, but as the Governor of all things as everywhere present, everywhere imparting life and securing order. You see, people want me to speak about politics. People want me to speak about the end times. People want me to speak about the rapture. People want me to speak about food shortages. People want for me to speak about economic collapse. But what people need to hear is that God is ever-present. He is ever-present in our political environment. He is ever-present in our economical decline. He is ever-present in our problematic culture. He is ever-present in the scriptures that certainly teach of the rapture and the second coming of Christ, and our need to prepare. But how? Well, we prepare by worshiping Him, by acknowledging Him for who He is, and understanding that He is in total control, and He is sovereign over the circumstances in which we face, and He will never leave us nor forsake us. So forgive me if I don't get all distracted by the problems of the world, because, listen, this isn't my home. My home is in order. My home has been prepared because Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I'm there, you may be also. So forgive me if I'm not all wrapped up in the culture that we live in because this is not my home. I'm sorry if I'm not wrapped up in the political decline because this is not my home. I'm sorry if I'm not wrapped up in the economical decline because my God says he will provide all of my needs. And when my needs run dry, he will come up with another way to provide for them because he will never leave me. He is every present. He is not bound by, by the flesh of the body. We need not to be distracted and operate by fear, but rather trusting that God is able. But no matter the difficulties we face, we will not lose focus that one day, my friends, we will stand before him and we will worship him. We will worship him face to face. Do you hope for that day? Are you so worried about the fear that this culture drives in people's hearts? Sometimes I think the best thing you guys can do is shut the computer off 
Delete these apps from your phone. Open your Bibles. Pray. Read. And trust in what God's promises are. Because no matter how fast this thing's going downhill, my friends, listen, the church always grows when it's persecuted. Always has and always will because pressure draws people to God. Comfort makes weak people. Weak people make problems. But when you have the trust of the Lord, and you know he's in control because the Scripture says it, and that he's everywhere, wherever you go, He's with you. So what do you have to fear? Go preach the gospel, my friends. Because you could have the greatest economic environment for which this world ever has experienced under the most godly leadership that we've ever faced. You could have the most prosperous country ever. United States could become totally moral, God-honoring, but guess what? People will still die, and people will still go to hell. The main thing remains the gospel. Didn't say that we don't talk about those things. Doesn't mean we don't discuss it, but we discuss them from a proper perspective, and we put them in place of eternity. Where do those things line up? If God is with us wherever we go, if he, is, if he has no boundaries or limits, if he is not limited, then why do we lose our minds? We must live by faith, my friends. And we must look forward to the day. Because we will see him face to face. And how we respond in the now which is the economic decline, the political nuttiness, the cultural moral decline. That's the now. But our hope is not for here. Our hope is for there. Stop looking for what God promises in heaven on earth. This is not our home. We need to go share the hope of Christ with people because that's what changes the world. That's what changes true heart change, is the gospel. And we spend money, we spend time, and we spend energy on everything but gospel. Gospel has become a bookend when it should be the prelude. It should come before. It should be the starting point. Don't just add the gospel to Start the gospel before. Because the God who saves is the God who is all-knowing, who is all-present, who is all-powerful, who is all-able. And we've learned today that God is spirit, and he is not limited. And therefore, we have to be careful not to limit him or make graving images to make ourselves feel good. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that God is spirit, that, that there is no ontological boundaries by which you face. Help us to walk in this life, trusting, believing, and living a life that acts like you are God, that acts like you are able 
that acts like you are in control because we know you. Help us to know you and to make you known. We love you, Lord, and we thank you, and we ask all these things in the precious name of Christ. Amen. This has been Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast, and be sure to visit us online at familybiblefellowship.org. And come see us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m.